When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. This is Jay Scott. Hope everybody is surviving. Hope everybody is doing what they need to do to get through the coronavirus and the pandemic that has been spreading across the country over the past few weeks, but like probably even longer than that. Hope you're getting in touch with old friends and enjoying your family time. If you don't have a family, hope you're enjoying things that you love, like music, reading, movies, whatever it is. But uh, just a quick note, try not to isolate yourself out there. Try to communicate with as many people as you can. Stay social with people. It doesn't mean getting on Facebook or texting people. Try to have some conversations with your family, your friends, whatever. But uh, we're all getting through it. We're all getting the same boat. And Welcome back to the Hook Rocks. Today's guest, it is a pleasure to interview Joey Casada. You may know him from ZO2, the Z-Rock TV show, the development shows like Wrestling with Joey Licious or the animated series Victor, and also now on Broadway with uh, the great Comet. Welcome, Joey. How you doing, man? Hey, Jay, thanks so much for having me, dude. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I am so glad you are doing this. I know uh, a mutual friend of ours, Crash Crafton, recommend that you have me on the have you on the show about a month ago, and then all of a sudden, you know, this coronavirus hit and things got delayed, but we started chatting last week, and here you are. So thank you very much. It's my pleasure, absolutely. So before we get into what we're going to get into, which is the book, Start with a dream. We always start the podcast every time we have a new guest. We always start with the same question, and that is the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan, every music fan has a moment, whether it's a band, an album, a performance, or a song that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's so clear as day. Um, if anyone has read my book and, and we discussed this a little off air before you read my book and you had some really great things to say about it. But anyone who's read the book knows that the book opens up with me going to see kiss when I was five years old at Madison square garden in New York city. And from that moment on, my life was, was never going to be the same. I saw kiss. I had known nothing about them. All I knew was I was going to see something at Madison square garden. My brother was a kiss fan at the time. 
My family took us. I had no idea what we were even doing there. And two hours later, I came out completely obsessed with this band and obsessed with music. Yeah, it. Um, I, I read the book, and I, I kind of knew what your answer would be before I asked it, but I had to. Um, and let's dive right into it, because that's really where the book starts off, which is your relationship with music and how it began with that first Kiss concert. And I have to tell you, reading this book, um, I didn't really know what to expect. I mentioned our, our mutual friend Crash. He recommended that I, re- I read it. And I ordered it on Amazon, and I get it, and I, I'm like, 500 pages. I'm like, man, I'm like, this is gonna take this is gonna take me forever. So, but I read it. I read it in three days, and I, I couldn't put it down because it is the essence of what it was like being a young kid in the 80s, being introduced to music. And there's so many familiar things in this book, whether it's going to the record store at the mall, you know, just diving into music, anticipating a new record, and not knowing, you know, now we, we're spoiled because we get the news on all our favorite artists immediately, right? Back in the day, you had to go to the grocery store, read a magazine, or, you know, sometimes you didn't even know about it till years later. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that happened. I mean, you mentioned when, you know, Peter Chris left Kiss that you didn't know that that he left until you know the 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 album the elder came out and was yeah it was the it was the elder in the in the in the in the book and correct yeah yeah and and that's how things were were like back in the day and i have to tell you i didn't know what to expect in this book um reading this book it quickly became one of my favorite all-time books i've ever read and it is just it's it's basically a connection to music and a journey that has brought you to present day. And it's just such an amazing story. And it's just, you, you know, at least for the first part with the family life and the music, I really connected with. And it was so amazing because I, I, I was reading the book and I was smiling and my son goes, dad, why are you smiling? I go, I go, if you ever, cause he likes the music that I, that I grew up with. He, he is connected with it. I mean, he listens to kiss. He listens right, to right. all that stuff. And I go, if you ever, want to know what it was like growing up with this music you got to read this book it's so funny when, when I hear people talk about like the beginnings of my book like you said it's a pretty big book it's a it, I've been actually told it's, it's a pretty easy read there's a lot of pictures so you know if I took out all the pictures and reformatted it it's really only about a 300 page, page book because I included so many extras and lots of pictures and lots of different stuff in it it made it much bigger than it would be if it was published by a big publisher. So I don't want to scare people away. It's really not a 500 page book, even though there are 500 pages. So don't get too nervous, but it's funny when I hear people talk about the beginnings of my book, like the, like you said, being introduced to music for the first time, or, you know, back in the eighties, having to find out where your favorite band was on tour or when the new album came out, you didn't know these things back then. There was no internet. You know, there was no MTV. I didn't have cable growing up. I had, you know, channels 2, 4, 7, 9, 11. And, you know, sometimes you'd venture towards 13 if you were really bored. And, you know, we didn't have the outlets that we have today. So I would literally go to the newsstand or go to the record store every week hoping something would be either be there or there'd be some kind of information to tell me when my new favorite record was coming out or where, even better, is my is Kiss coming to town that year 
And how would I even know about it? Someone would have to tell me at the record store. I would have no idea. So when I hear people like you tell me they relate to that stuff, it's really the most rewarding thing because when I originally wrote the book, I just assumed that all my ZO2 and Z-Rock fans were going to be buying it for those stories. And those stories, and you know, after writing the book, those stories really don't take place till the second half of the book. It really is broken up almost even. Like the whole second half is Z-Rock forward of my career and ZO2 forward in my career, where the whole first half is really about my childhood and growing up a music fan and being obsessed with Kiss and being obsessed with drums and wrestling and all the things that we went through in the 80s. It's really like a growing up story in the 80s, the first half of the book. So when I hear people relate to that now, where I thought people that part of the book might have been a throwaway, it's really the most rewarding thing for me. Absolutely. You know, I was born January 75, so you and I are, are around the same age. Correct. I, yeah, I was born January 74, so. Yes. So I remember going to grocery stores with my mother, and again, you know, I'm five, six, seven years old. No parent would do this in today's age, but she would let me wander off to the magazine section. And, of course, right. Yeah, and I would you know take the circus magazine, the hip parader, and I would just sit on the floor of the grocery store with my back up against the the romantic novels, and and read while my until until my mother came and got me. And right. you know, but that's when you found out everything, and that's when you you put the you know the 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 names to the you know. Uh, to the face, you know, like you saw pictures of Van Halen, you saw pictures of Kiss, you saw pictures of Rat, Motley Crue, and it added to that lore of who they were. Like they, they were like these larger than life characters, these rock stars. You know, you, you didn't have like an over, you know, sense of of just always in your face like it is now. You know, oversaturation, and it just seemed like it was it was it was very primitive. I mean, you talk about your introduction to Kiss. I remember. Kiss being around me constantly in terms of whenever I went to the store with my mom or dad, I remember seeing the Kiss Halloween masks or the Kiss figures, or and I knew of this entity of Kiss. And of course, this is also the Star Wars generation too, you know. Sure. And and I remember sitting in the the grocery cart in the checkout line. They had those magazine kiosks, and I remember them. I think it was People Magazine introducing Eric Carr as the drummer. And again, I would just fixate on that, on those pictures. Like, who are these guys? Like, what is this? What is this all about? So I knew the name and I knew the imagery of Kiss before I heard their music. For Kiss, you it, know, it's right. I mean, like I said before, when I went to Madison Square Garden, I vaguely had an understanding what Kiss was from commercials, and but I didn't even know that's why we were going. So when I finally found out it was Kiss that we were going to see. I kind of understood what that meant, but I didn't understand that it was music or concerts. I didn't understand any of that. And then when I became obsessed with them, and this is one of the stories in my book that everyone seems to love, when I first got the Elder album, and it's like the only album of Kiss that has no pictures of Kiss on it. There's no pictures of them anywhere. You know, the most visual band in history, for some reason, (laughs) you know, obviously they dropped the ball. They included no pictures of themselves on this record. If anyone knows that record, it's literally just a brown cover with a brown door with the handle of, and a hand knocking. So when I bought this album and read the liner notes in the store and it said drummer Eric Carr, I was in shock because I knew Peter Chris from when I saw them on the Dynasty tour that first time. 
and I had never heard of this Eric Carr before. And there were no pictures of him. So like you said earlier, what I what did I do? I, I dropped the album, ran ran out of the store and went to the nearest newsstand to look to see if there was any pictures of the new kiss with this guy, Eric Carr. And I couldn't find any. And it was over a year later until I could actually see what this person looked like on the cover of their next album, Creatures of the Night. So it wasn't like you can just go on YouTube or type in Google someone's name and see, you know, a gazillion pictures of them. You know, obviously today's world is so advanced and it's so great that kids can do that. But there was some kind of magic back then that you couldn't see everything at your fingertips that I think, you know, the kids of our generation really appreciate and really, I think, have a passion for certain things more than anyone else in any other generation. Because you had to chase it, right? I mean, you had to go seek it out. You had to go find it. It wasn't like you just said, you know, you just, you know, entered in on Google and all of a sudden there's a hundred different things that show up with whatever you're searching. You had to go find it. And there was a limited amount like, you know, the, the, the circus magazine or the hip reader wasn't all about kiss or wasn't all about Van Halen. You maybe had two or three pages and that was that, but it really wasn't until MTV came along that now you were able to have more access you were able to see, you know, and on a more consistent basis. I mean, I remember seeing Kiss take the makeup off on MTV, which led me to go buy my first album with my own money, which was Kiss Lick It Up. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So Again, stuff like that is so priceless. I mean, I remember getting an album for the first time and sitting in my room listening to it over and over again. And what did you do while you listened to it? You you stared at that album and the liner notes and the cover and the inside, and you read every single word on the inside, the credits, the lyrics, whatever whatever was included. You had, you immersed yourself in for sometimes a month at a time straight, and that's all you would do. Whereas now, you know, someone puts on Spotify, there's a gazillion songs on there, and you can listen to anything you want, and you're probably surfing the internet while you're listening, and there's a million other things going on around you, where back then, you're so focused on what you're doing and loving every second of what you're hearing and seeing and it's all in conjunction with one another where I think that created this obsession fan base that Kiss has and you know, some of these other bands from back then have that nobody can, today could match. Of course, there's great bands today and there's great fan bases, but the obsession that we have with certain bands and certain acts back then in the 70s and the 80s I don't think we'll ever be matched. Well, think about how we absorbed music back then. And you just talked about that. You know, you absorb it over time. But one of the other differences is, is that when you bought one album, that one album, you were good for a month or two, right? Because you were just, right, right. You were just listening to it and absorbing it, where now you have access to so much that what you're listening to on a Friday, you're done with it by Monday. You know, like kids, you know, like I see my son, how he absorbs things and stuff like that. And, and I, for, for us, for us growing up in that generation, like you said, we'd sit in our rooms, we'd sit with the album or cassette, we'd read the liner notes and we just play it over and over again. Like every song. I mean, there were no filler songs too. It was no song to skip over. First of all, you had to give up to skip. If you wanted to skip something, you had to move the needle, you had to fast forward on the cassette. So you just <laughs> right. let it, so you just let it play, you know, and, and, and it just, it was a different experience. And I've mentioned a lot of time on the show, how we absorb music today has a big impact on genres like rock music. 
because rock music depend was dependent so much on the artwork, on the experience of having that album Agreed. in front of you that now they haven't learned, the genre hasn't learned how to recapture that in a different format like Spotify or iTunes or whatever streaming service that you have. So it's much different. Right. And it's funny, it's funny that, I mean, all that stuff you're talking about is so true, but when I wrote my book, I never even realized that, I mean, I guess I did, but I never verbalized it before that all of us from the same generation kind of thought and experienced these things together. Meaning you did the same thing I did to try to get a new album or try to find out a new band on tour or whatever. I wasn't thinking about that when I, I wrote my book. I literally just wrote my life and told about my, my um, not only my accomplishments and, and my career, but just growing up as a kid in, the, in Brooklyn, New York in the 80s and, you know, all the ins and outs, whether it was from fireworks or, you know, playing um, crazy, you know, games as a kid, you know, ring and run and, you know, wild stuff and, and drinking and, and getting into trouble, but just everyday kid stuff that, like I said before, I never thought would be the most popular part of the book, whereas I thought it would be, you know, the crazy stories on the road with rock bands and, you know, filming a TV show with, you know, crazy comedians like I did on Z-Rock. It was the stuff of the kids growing up that related to me that really became the biggest hit of the book, and it's so it's so great. I love it. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to mention, too, I mean, this is a, a journey, of your life you know this is this is your life the journey of music and how you connected with it but the other thing that I noticed too and and, and where I have a lot of connection with is your family life Um, very similar to mine my parents weren't divorced but my father wasn't the most pleasant individual to be around and and, and I and I used music as an escape as a sense of comfort you know and that helped you know explode my journey or really push my journey forward because instead of me being out in the common areas of the house, I was in my room listening to music to be away from the tension, to be away from, you know, whatever, whatever the circumstance was when I was a kid. And it just caused me, caused me to be a bigger music fan because I just, I just dived into it completely because of that tension in the house, because of that, you know, sense of, of comfort that music gave me back in that, that, that time. Yeah, it's just something we can all relate to. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, my family life, again, I have to keep going back to it, but my, when I wrote my book, I, I really wasn't even going to release it. What I did it, I did it for originally was I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a 10-year-old, and both of my parents are gone. They're both, they're both passed. My, all my grandparents are passed. So it's like I have no one. I would have wished, I wish I could talk to my grandfather or my, my mother again to talk about their childhood and, some of their experiences, but I never got a chance to do that as an adult thinking that way. When you're a kid, you don't think that way to talk to your parents that way. So I wanted to just have something written down and kind of just tell my life story. I did some fun stuff in the music business and, you know, I had a cool uh, run and a great career and a fun time growing up. And I just wanted something for my kids to maybe one day listen to or, or read when they got older. And then as I started sending samples out to people, everyone just seemed to relate to it and like, you know, all the different stories and the way I'm just really just honest about everything. You know, there's some things that aren't great in the book and there's some tragedies and there's some, you know, just screwing me over and stuff like that where I just, I'm just honest about it. It has nothing to do with, I didn't try to badmouth anyone in the book. I didn't try to build anyone up in the book. I just 
told about my life, and it, and it, it and it's it just it, believe it or not, it became the number one Amazon bestseller when it first, was first released, which is <laughs> insane. I don't even know who the hell was buying it. Well, I think what people appreciate, at least I did, is the honesty and you know, like you just mentioned. I mean, you know, there there's no. You know, there's there, there everything is out in front, and and you tell the story from from your perspective and from your eyes, and it's honest and it's truthful, and you know, you, there's a lot of scars, there's a lot of battle wounds that you went through throughout your whole career, and you're upfront, and you even you even kind of talk about how you should have caught things sooner, especially when you're talking about the management with ZO2, and how you know you let down your guard this one time, and it came back and screwed you, and and. You know, when, when, when people like myself or others who've never been in the music business read articles about artists who, you know, got, got, got screwed over, you know, we're always quick to say, oh, what, a, what, a, what an idiot or what a, what, a, what a fool, you know. But there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot going on in your lives at that time. Like you mentioned, you know, when, when you signed that contract with, to do Z-Rock, I believe it was, you were dealing with, you know, your, your, your mother being sick. You know, and you were dealing with a lot of things in your life at that time, so it, it it slipped through the cracks, right? And that stuff happens, and I don't think we as fans appreciate how quickly things can go from moving right along to a few years down the road being an absolute train wreck because you didn't do something on the here and now. It's so funny you you're, you hit it right on the nose. It's, you know, I always used to watch movies growing up of, you know, bands getting screwed and, you know, all the stupid things that they did. And everywhere you're always like, ah, what are these idiots doing? How could they sign a contract without a lawyer looking at it? And how could they do this? What are they fools? You don't realize it, how, you know, tricky it is until you're really in it. It's not just a matter of, here's a contract, sign it. Wait, have to have a lawyer look at it. There's so many ins and outs that go into the music business that people don't realize <clears throat> and I'm so happy that I got a chance to share some of that stuff obviously I didn't go through everything I can only share the experiences that I went through and I just hope like I have a lot of students I teach drums I teach music business I teach all this stuff so I'm just happy that I can pass on some of my experiences some of my failures some of my success some of my knowledge that maybe one or two kids don't make a mistake that I made or maybe they do the opposite maybe they they do the exact same stuff that I did and causes them great success. So it's, it's just, it's a, a pleasure to be able to share those life experiences, whether it's from, you know, going into a recording studio the first time and me as a drummer, I remember <coughs> producers would always tell me, Oh, don't worry. The sound is not good now, but we're going to fix it in the mix and it's going to sound gigantic. Don't worry. Horse shit. Never listen to any producer that tells you stuff like that. That means they're trying to cut costs and they're trying to make their job easier and never listen to someone else that's just trying to cut a corner and it's going to affect your product down the line. So it's just little little hints like that throughout the book that I kind of share and kind of emphasize and hopefully give people advice about. Yeah, it's believing in yourself. I mean, you mentioned this is a common theme throughout your whole book is not taking no for an answer. Keep pushing forward to get what you want um, if you have a dream, and, and it all starts with that dream, right? And when you when you keep pushing forward, whether it's you know doing the Broadway thing that you have now, which you kind of fell into by accident, and you know the development of the stuff that you're doing now, wrestling with Joey Licious in the animated series, Victor... 
But throughout your life, the common theme of this was you kept going. You kept going. And I and and you and I are very similar because we've had a lot of challenges. I've had a lot of challenges in my life. And I think when you kind of grow up in that atmosphere where you're used to challenges, you're not as scared as somebody who may not. You're not as scared to 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 find out what the unknown is, you know, and 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 keep going forward and keep pursuing things. Do you feel that way? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think <laughs> you don't you you can't succeed without taking chances and failing. I think if you just always, you know, there's so many great bands, musicians, or actors, or artists that sit in their house or their garage or their art studio and just make sure everything is perfect and they never make a, take a chance and then, oh my God, that piece is not ready and this is not ready and what if I get turned down? What if what if I get rejected? And it, you, you can never, ever grow as an artist like that. I think if you're not putting yourself out there to be rejected, how could you ever succeed? You have to be able to take that rejection and fail every once in a while to learn from those failures to succeed. If you know, some of the failures that I had in my career didn't happen, I would have never been able to succeed at all the big events that did happen that I was ready for when they did happen. So I think absolutely when you put yourself out there all the time and you do fail and you learn from those lessons, I think you're even better when you start getting out there and, and taking more chances and people give you more opportunities because you're not as scared because whatever, what's going to happen? You're going to turn me down? Is that the last, is that the hardest thing that's going to happen? Great. Who cares? But the best thing that could happen is it becomes a success and it's a great, it's a great, great accomplishment in your career. So absolutely, I agree with you. It's also a go big or go home. I mean, you, when you talk about the talent show that you did in grade school at the, uh, the Catholic school that you went to, <laughs> Um, and you guys came out as kiss and the way you guys came out, you guys were on the floor instead of the stage. So you could be, you know, closer to the, the fans or the crowd, you know, that was a, you know, that's another thing too. Like you were preparing yourself for the moments down the road in your life at a very young age, you had this, this, you know, this big picture thinking at a very young age, which I thought was very impressive. And it's funny, you know, looking back, I could say, yeah, of course, I had to be, of course, what do you mean? It's so easy to think that way. But at the time, you're not thinking, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, I have a big picture of mentality. All I'm thinking is, how do, how do I make my dreams come true? And again, the name of the book is Start With a Dream. So it's all about, how do I make my dreams come true? What are these, every step along the way? I knew, and it was, you're right, it was it maybe weird insight for, you know, a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kid to have and be con- conscious of taking those steps every time and actually understanding that, oh, I'm taking a step in my career. This is not the final product, but this is going to get me to the next level, which will get me to the level above that. Maybe it was a little crazy that I thought that way back then, but it's the only way I knew how to think. So I, I really, you know, and I think, you know, I contribute a lot, a lot to KISS. KISS was always this band that preached you know, believe in yourself and you can do anything you want to do with, you know, if if you work hard enough for it and if you put enough time into it and enough effort and and you're passionate about something, you never let someone tell you you can't do it. And the only people that, that tell you you can't do it are the people that have failed themselves. So you never listen to people like that. And, you know, maybe it sounds, it sounds corny today, but 
that's where I got most of that attitude from. It was from Kiss lyrics and Kiss interviews. And, you know, maybe it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. That's where I got all that stuff from. It's very true. I mean, I've always, I even tell my son who's 15, surround yourself with successful people. They bring you up. They pull you up. If you, if you are around people that are negative who always say, oh, you know, this sucks, that sucks, they're going to bring you down. And, you know, you got to, you got to believe in yourself. I, I have to, to laugh too at the stories of you being in a Catholic school with the long hair because, <laughs> because I went to a Catholic grade school and, I used to wear, we used to wear uniforms and it was Navy, yeah, Navy blue pants and a Navy blue or or a powder blue shirt. And I used to wear my Motley Crue t-shirt underneath on certain days. And you could see the skull with the handcuffs, you know, through the shirt, you know, with the Motley Crue. So, so the, so the penguins would get all upset. For those of you who don't know what penguins are, penguins are what we used to refer to as nuns, you know. Um, oh yeah, you know. So, so they would call. They would send me down to the principal's office, which was Sister Fabia, and Oof. and she would That's rip. Terrifying already. <laughs> she would rip my shirt off and then pull my Motley Crue shirt off. You know, in the in in her office and like throw the powder blue shirt back at me. And she's like, "Come and get your shirt at the end of the day." And it caught on because because my friends started wearing like Ozzy Osbourne shirts and you know Kiss shirts and Van Halen sure, shirts and sure, everything. Sure, sure. So I was like the ringleader of of all this, and and I was always scowled at whenever I'd walk down the hall by by Sister Fabia, Sister Barbara Ann, Sister Pearl, Sister Blanche, whoever it was. I was like the the, the big troublemaker. I mean, obviously, I know now why you enjoyed my book so much because we literally, it sounds like we lived parallel lives. It's crazy. It's, you know, I have stories in there. Same thing like you're saying with nuns. I grew up, went to a Catholic school, always had my hair. And again, I had my hair a little long, not crazy long, not 80s rocker long, just a little long. And I would be suspended constantly. I was suspended the whole last year, uh, whole last semester of eighth grade. I would have to take all my tests and classes in my principal's office, who was Sister Marie, um, literally the only person I've ever hated in my whole entire life. I still hate her guts to this day. Um, and yeah, it's all about those struggles. That, you know, I never wore the kiss shirts underneath because I'd probably sweat too much, but I, I still have my Ace Freely Kiss denim jacket. And I would wear it, you know, it had 20 patches and a, and a painting on the back. And um, I'll post stuff on your site after after you post the interview, dude. It's it's epic looking. It's great, and I would wear this every day to school with my uniform. So I would have a Catholic school uniform on, brown khakis. I'd have a tie on, a white shirt, and I would have this rocker, ace freely, disgusting, dirty denim jacket on. And my principal would look at me with disgust every day as soon as I walked in and scream at me to take it off. So we we literally lived the same life. It's crazy. How about the folders you had when you would write the the logos for the bands, like whether it was Kiss or Van Halen or Maiden or whoever? So your so your folders were filled with this, with they, with the with the nuns, the Penguins thought was like satanic music, and like you pull out your folder out of your desk, and they would just like be be so upset when they would see stuff like that, you know? And it, dude, I'm lo- I'm looking I'm looking at my sixth grade folder right now with all the logos on. <laughs> I still have it in front of me. I'm not even kidding. It's in my desk in my basement with in, in my studio and it has all that stuff on it. it has every logo you can think of and the same thing these nuns would scowl at you and and that satan's music and and really flip out and 
but one of the really funny parts in my book is, like I said, my hair was long and I would constantly be suspended. And one time the, the principal wrote a note and said, you know, you're basically not allowed back until your hair is not touching your college. You're, you're indefinitely suspended. And when I went home to tell my mom, I was you know, scared shitless. I thought my mom was going to be upset with me and, you know, make me cut my hair and so on and so forth. But my mom was so cool and just always so supportive. And she told me to go back. You tell Sister Marie that Jesus had his hair long. Why can't you? Which I and thought, sure enough, yeah. I, 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 I marched into her office with, with the cockiest grin you'd ever want to see. And I said those exact words and it cost me, you know, probably maybe a month suspension, but it was worth it. I, I remember reading that in the book and I, and I, I love that. I love that your mother telling you, Jesus's hair was long. Why can't you have long hair? I remember having the, the, a crocus tape in my desk at school <laughs> called the blitz. And I don't know if you're familiar with the cover, but it has like this ballerina and you could just see the bottom part yeah. of her ass cheeks. I, yeah. I was on the verge of being expelled because of that. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, my teacher, my the nun, I think it was Sister Benedicta, um, grabbed it out of my desk and brought it down to the principal's office. They called my mother in and everything, and there was this big to-do, because all because of the cover of this album, which my parents bought me for Easter. You know, Right. So, <laughs> Even better, right? Perfect. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, with Sister Benedicta, um, she, we, I, I had a music appreciation class, and we were talking about Tchaikovsky. And she said the word penalized instead of penalized. And, you know, be, me Uh-oh. being a, an immature buffoon, oh, yeah. I started giggling. I started laughing. And she's like, what are you laughing at? You know, and I go, oh, it sounds right, like penis. Right. She hauled off on me on, with, a, with one of those brick erasers. And I had, like, oh, I, no. had, I had chalk, like, all over my face and hair and shirt because she just was, like, beating the crap out of me. So I, I get home and my mom goes, what happened to you? I'm like, sister, I to beat the crap out of me. And I'm expecting my mother to like stick up for me. And she goes, well, what did you do? <laughs> wow. Right. Of course. Of course. It's your fault. Right. Yeah. But no, it was also the similarities too with our, with, with your mother and my mother. My mother is Italian. You know, one of my biggest supporters throughout my whole life. Um, I always say to myself, I wish, I wish everyone could have a mother like me, like that I had. And I sure. feel, you know, you feel like the same way with, with your mom who, who is now passed, but you know, very similar to as well. I mean, she was always there for me. She continues to be there for me. And, you know, you know, with this whole coronavirus thing that was, that's been happening, I sent her a message. I said, you need to stay indoors. If something happens to you, I don't know what I would do. And, right. you know, it, it's very similar to as well. So you are right. I think we led parallel lives, you and outside of New York or in New York and me outside of Chicago. It's, it's a crazy time out there. I mean, like, you know, we, we talked a little bit off air. I'm, I'm enjoying it because I never get to spend this much time at home. I'm either working a lot or on the road or recording or doing stuff. So it, it is a great little step back and take a breath um, time for me and family and my kids and getting to, you know, spend time with my kids all day long. And if you guys follow me on any of my social media it's basically at Joey Casada on all the platforms. And, you know, I've been, I've been posting nonstop stuff of, you know, me playing drums with my kids who both play now and, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons and just having a really good time just being with them every day. Whereas, you know, when we're all in the grind of everyday life, it's hard to step back and take a breath and enjoy your family. And then, you know, before you know it, 
kids are grown and moving out and you never know what's going to happen. So it, it's a nice, even though it's a tragic time for a lot of people and you all have to be really careful and safe. It, it's, it's a nice time for everyone to just sit back and I think to reflect a little bit too. Yeah. Take advantage of the downtime. I mean, that's essentially what it is. I mean, we're being forced right. to stay at home and, and, and self quarantine Take advantage of it, you know? I mean, my son asked me to play NHL on his uh, Xbox last week. I got to spend a couple hours of time with him playing hockey and, and yelling like we're watching a real game because he's a huge Blackhawk fan as I am. And, you know, it was fun. It was a good time. And when I hear him play his music, Absolutely. you know, he's, he's jamming on his guitar and he's playing his guitar and he's learning new riffs and learning new tunes. It's an awesome thing. And, you know, like, like we, we, we talked about before we, we started the show, out of something bad, something good always happens. And, again, in your book... Well, but not for everybody. I, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an acquired thing. I think a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of negative people out there, too, that, that think the opposite. Oh, my God, I have to homeschool my kids. I have to do this. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite for me. It's, it's, I, I love doing this stuff. I enjoy it. And it, it's something where I think the people out there that who aren't enjoying it and getting to appreciate the time they have with their family right now, if they're listening to this and, and if any of them are like that, take a second and go play a board game with the kids or, you know, go have a little wrestling match with the kids or play some video games like you did or, or anything, whatever it is to kind of bond because you don't know when you'll have this again. You really won't. And it's a good time to just kind of have your kids learn about you as, as a parent, you know, I mean, learn more about their, their father or their mother or whomever they you know, like you talked about, you know, with your mother, not being able to ask her about questions about her childhood. Well, now is the time you can, you can start talking to your kids about what it was like when you were growing up and what, you know, and where your family came from. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot missing with that in today's age with parents not sharing that stuff. I mean, I, you know, my mother's side, which was Italian, I learned about all that stuff when I was growing up. I mean, she would, you know, she would tell me about, you know, her uncles and her aunts and, and her living in a three flat in, in this part of Chicago and all that stuff and how they used to, how they used to like pass, pass food to each other, you know, through the windows and stuff right. like that. So, right. you know, I mean, learn all about that stuff. I mean, we all at the end of the day are walking history books, you know, and what better way to learn or teach your kids about what was going on and, and during periods that they're learning about in school than what it was like to grow up during that time or what it was like to experience that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it's a tremendous opportunity for everybody. I couldn't agree more. I think it's great advice. I think people should take advantage of exactly what you just said because you never know when you're going to not have that opportunity again, whether it's you know, parents passing or whatever the situation is. I think it's so important for all of us to Sit back and reflect, or you know, if you have a story, write it down. You know, I, I, I literally, you know, I got my Broadway gig. I did a Broadway run for almost five years on The Great Comet of eighteen twelve, um, starring Josh Groban, and I would literally travel back and forth to Manhattan. You know, every day we did eight shows a week, so I was doing six days a week, eight shows a week, and it was you know nonstop back and forth traveling and playing and traveling and playing. And I literally wrote my book on the bus every day back and forth to Manhattan. And so I use, I utilize that time, that downtime that I had where, you know, a lot of people maybe would be sleeping on the bus or, you know, watching Netflix on the bus. I, I used that time and, and literally wrote my life story. So there's, there's time to do stuff. Whatever people say, 
oh, how did you do that? I don't, I can't find the time to do anything. I was doing eight shows a week on Broadway. And during that time traveling, I was writing a book. So there's time to do it. Just make the time and, and you know, try to do something. Even if you think maybe your story isn't great, jot it down for the kids. You never know if they want to hear it one day. One of the questions that I have about your experience writing this book is when you began to write down your life and you began to write down your experiences, especially, you know, the early part of your childhood, what was that like, you know, uncovering some of, you know, obviously you had the, the challenges with your father when you were growing up, you know, you, you, you looked at your mother as your saving grace, you know, how she always supported you and she did whatever she could to help support you. And you talk about your grandparents, talk about your friends and how close knit your friends are. What was that like reliving all of that to put on the pages of a book? I got to tell you, it was, <clears throat> like I said, I've done a lot of fun stuff in my career, whether it was, you know, the name of the book is A Drummer's Journey from Rock and Roll to TV to Broadway. So I've, I've done a lot of fun stuff. I've toured the world. I've started a TV show. I played on Broadway. I've done all this fun, really cool stuff. But doing this book and reflecting back on not only those accomplishments, but, but my life and, you know, childhood and friends and tough times and good times, it, it was really one of the most, if not the most rewarding thing I've done in my career, just because it was, I don't know if therapeutic is the right way to do it, but it was just so nice to put those thoughts on paper that have been in my head forever. You know, my whole life is in my head and your life is in your head and, you know, so on and so forth that once you start kind of writing about it and talking about it and having it flow from one year to the next, like when I was writing when I was 12 years old and getting, you know, play my, you know, in my first live show, I wasn't thinking about Broadway and I wasn't thinking about, um, when I was 30 and doing this, I was only living in that moment. So it was, it was so nice to, I almost relived all of those moments again. And not only when I wrote it, when I, I just released the audio book and doing the audio version was even, <clears throat> it was probably even harder for me just because it was so just reading the completed thoughts. Like when you're writing the book, there's so many thoughts going on in your head. And you know, I had to edit so much out because it just wasn't relevant to the story and it wasn't flowing good and just too much minutia. So, but when I got to do the audiobook, I literally just sat in front of my computer with my, my audio gear and read my book. You know, I, I, am, I obviously didn't read it like a robot with, you know, some of these goofy audiobooks, and I included a lot of extra songs, and demos, and live recordings, and, you know, snippets of the TV shows and stuff like that. But when I was just reading the book back as a completed story, it was so rewarding to see how... I was growing as a person and, and a drummer and, and a, you know, a person and a father and a husband and all this stuff. So it was, it was just so rewarding to do. And I couldn't recommend it higher and more for someone else to try that journey. Like I said, whether you release it or not, who cares if you release it or if you sell any copies, put it on your hard drive. You never know. One day your kids might f stumble across it 20 years from now. And it'll be so rewarding to read about their dad's or mom's, life or even one of your stories in your life about your whole life, write something down, write something about some time you had when you went to Mexico and you had fun and you were drunk and you got arrested. Who knows? Just some fun stories and you never know what it turns into. It's also interesting too, because you have the perspective of your life when you're living those experiences, right? When you're, when you're right in the middle of it and then 20 some years later, as you're writing about it, 
30 years later, you have a completely different perspective and you've, you've evolved as a human being, as a man. And now you're kind of like, you have a different perspective and now you're, the, you're meeting the old you who had this different perspective. And that's, that's got to be really, really cool. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, again, like we spoke about before, I did have this weird, like, older way of thinking when I was growing up. I kind of always thought about the future and I would, you know, I have versions of not my book, but I have little, I used to keep a journal of all the little, of the little milestones that I would do, whether it was joining my band playground or joining my first record deal or even smaller stuff, auditioning for bands. I would always jot it down. I would jot dates down. I would jot anything down that would help remember, make me remember some of that stuff with always the intention of Maybe if I became rich and famous, I'd want to write a book about this one day. And it, and some of those things I lost throughout the years, of course, the stupid journals and loose-leaf paper books and stuff like that that I wrote about. But I came across some of them as I tried to write my, my book again. And it was so funny to read back 13-year-old Joey writing about that experience as opposed to me now rehashing it in my book. It was, it was, it was amazing to really see it. What's also interesting, too, is about there's moments in your book where, take, for instance, ZO2. You weren't exactly enthused um, about playing in ZO2. In other words, there was the other band that you were thinking about at the time. You ended up in ZO2, which led to you touring with Kiss. And one of the things that you mention a lot in the book is how if you hadn't made that decision, that opportunity would not have happened. And how everything happens for a reason, which I believe wholeheartedly. I mean... I think about you know some of the different examples that you talk about, namely that you know if you would not if you would not have pursued or allowed yourself to be in ZO2, you never would have been on tour with Kiss. You never would have been you know able to meet your heroes. Right. Again, so one of you know we we keep talking about the book so much it's crazy. I hope someone wants to go read it after all these stories. I'm saying that as a good thing, of course it's great. <laughs> That's why I'm here. I love it. Um, there's, there's two things I love to talk about myself and Kiss. I'll, I'll do it all day long. <laughs> but um, yeah, with the book, so there's, there's a crazy story where, you know, I was with this band signed to Wind Up Records and ready to become the next Creed at the time. And we, you know, we were good, good, the record was great and it was finished and was ready to go. And the, the manager was just such an asshole and impossible to work with. And some of the demands he was making of me were so impossible that eventually it just came to a head and you know I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to curse on, on here but oh, go ahead. I basically told him I told him to go fuck himself and in, in a way I guess I either just quit then or he fired me on the spot and that kind of led me to opening up to ZO2 who I was already in at the time and kind of playing with a little bit here and there and it led me to do that full time and within the next two months we got the call to go on the road with Kiss so if I didn't have the balls to say, go fuck yourself to this, this manager on this major label that I was signed to with my paychecks coming in and I was already getting paid and all this stuff was happening. If I didn't have the balls to say, listen, you're not going to push me around anymore and treat me like this. Go fuck yourself. If I didn't do that, I would have never gone on tour with Kiss, never been in CO2, never had C-Rock, never done, you know, from that point on. So it's, you know, sometimes you got to take a stand and, take a chance and you know it was the perfect chance because not only did I get to do all of those things but that band wound up getting dropped from their record label 
a month later because of that same manager and the record label not being able to work with him. So it all worked out perfect. Yeah, it's amazing how with your journey that you talk about in this book is all about just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And even even if it's not what you want at the time, you were able to take something from it. You know, you were able to realize right. how it was making you a better player or more knowledgeable about the business, which is a fascinating way to think. Not a lot of people think that way, as we've talked about, you know, a short time ago. But, you know, it's just always having that idea that, okay, I'm in this situation. How am I going to keep pursuing my dream in this situation? And what and how am I becoming better? And I think that was just great to have that mindset while you're while you're going through this journey. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really a mindset I wish everyone could try because um, you, you don't always get exactly what you want when you're when you're doing it. Sometimes, you know, like the Rolling Stones say, sometimes you get what you need, and you, you think you want something so badly, but the thing you want you might not be ready for. So maybe take a step back and do three steps back and do those steps again to make sure if that opportunity does come, you are ready. Because if you're not ready when the opportunity presents itself, that's when the fucking regret and that happens, when you fail at that big, because those big opportunities don't come knocking very often. So when they do, you better be ready. And if you're not, it's your own fault. So I'm all about, you know, yes, there's a lot of things luck, but luck is really being prepared for an opportunity when it comes. Because those opportunities do present themselves to everybody. It's just a matter, is everyone out there looking for them, number one? And are they ready for them when they do present themselves? What's next for you? I mean, what's in line? I mean, we're in 2020. I mean, obviously we have the situation going on. But what are your plans for, you know, the future once this once this is over and as, as you move forward? So back to, you know, today's technology, we were talking about, you know, kids back then didn't have this, you know, the lucky thing we have today is, you know, we can do a lot of stuff from home, whether it's me writing my book and publishing it myself, or I, you know, I think you spoke earlier when, when you introduced me, how I'm developing my own television shows. Now I'm developing a show with me as the star of it called wrestling with Joey Licious. It's about me as a wannabe wrestler who never made it in the business. And now I'm in my mid forties and, you know, disaster in grammar school gyms and how these wrestlers from the eighties appear to me in my imagination to kind of give me advice. And it always turns out bad. Think of, think of like curb your enthusiasm meets Rocky. That's That's the best way I can describe it. It's filmed with the humor and the style of curb your enthusiasm, but it has that good hearted slob sports theme of Rocky. So there's some clips on YouTube. We've made some trailers. We filmed with some of the biggest WWE legends ever, Mick Foley, Roddy Piper before he passed, the Iron Sheik. We have Hulk Hogan on board. So I'm I'm producing that show right now. We're looking for the right home, um, whether it be network or streaming. So that takes up a lot of my time. And I also do a lot of teaching. Uh, I tour with Eric Martin from Mr. Big. I play with his, him and his solo band with the guys from Trickster, Steve Brown and PJ Farley. So I'm out doing that a lot. I play with Steve Orgieri from Journey once in a while. I fill in for him. And I'm, I've been the sub-drummer for Trans-Siberian Orchestra for 15 years, so I'm always on call for them every holiday season. So, you know, there's always stuff going on. Like, even if I'm not about and running around, you know, touring, I'm doing a lot of stuff from home. I just started writing the next book. 
Uh, I'm not going to give away what it is yet, but I, I just started writing that while I have this time free, like in the middle of the night, I'm up kind of jotting stuff down and kind of outlining and figuring out what it's going to be. So I'm always busy. There's so much stuff happening. <clears throat> All my social media outlets, I'm constantly posting, whether it's me doing something right now or some of my past work or what's coming up in the future. If I'm on the road, you'll find out where I'm touring, where I, who I'm playing with. I'm always posting clips of, like I said, this wrestling show, Wrestling with Joey Licious. There's um, recordings and stuff like that I'm always posting. So it's it's fun to follow me on social media. I'm always doing basically the history of my career in and out on social media. So I'm always busy. Maybe sometimes too busy. That's why I said now is a really great time to kind of sit back and breathe a little bit, but I'm still trying to trying to keep busy. What about Broadway? Are there any other opportunities with that? Yeah, there's a couple shows coming up. Um, I was supposed to be subbing on the new Alanis Morissette show, but that fell through. Um, just there's a lot of politics that go on in Broadway. There's so many politics about my last show that went on and how it closed and racial tensions. And, you know, some of that stuff will be included in, in a book down the road, too. Not what I'm working on right now, but that'll be the story of, you know, the rise and fall of the great comment might be in the works eventually. And, yeah, Broadway is, is is just a great gig for me because it's it's a local gig. I get to come back home to my family every night. I still get to play drums every night of the week. So it's, it's a great opportunity for me. Subbing on Broadway is not as good as getting my own chair again. Subbing is a hard job. It's kind of erratic and it interferes with a lot of the other stuff I do. So right now I'm still waiting for the next full-time opening to open up. There's a show that's going to be opening up within the next year or so that I'm hoping to jump on. So Yes, that's still an option. I'm still doing it. I'm still out and about in the Broadway world constantly. And last question. I saw your kids playing drums on your social media. So who do they prefer, Peter Chris or Eric Carr? <laughs> great. That is a great question. So I just um, music directed a kiss show over at School of Rock, and my daughter actually performed in it. And all the drummers in the show, none of them wanted to be Eric Carr for some reason. Obviously, everybody knows Peter Chris. He's the more popular. He's the makeup you see t- in today's, you know, today's Kiss. So nobody wanted to be Eric Carr. I tried to get my daughter to do Eric Carr for both concerts, and she still wanted to do Peter Chris. But it turned out great. I mean, Peter's obviously amazing. Peter wrote the forward to my book. He's a very good friend of mine. I, I adore everything he's done in his career. I think he's a not only a phenomenal drummer and songwriter and singer, but I think he's highly underrated. I think take for granted how great Peter Chris really was back in the seventies. He was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he had a totally different uh, influence that some of the other guys didn't have in kiss. I mean, he mostly came from like a jazz R and B type of type of feel to his drumming. Whereas all the other guys were Zeppelin fans and free fans and all that. So it was an interesting mesh between all four of those guys. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if any drummers are listening, try to go try to go copy some of Peter Chris's style. Don't just play the songs. Try to copy some of the feels and styles he has early on in the, in those Kiss records. It's next to impossible. It's not that it's technically so efficient. It's that he has a swagger that you can't copy. And to me, that's what music is. Music is not about being super technically sound. It's about creating something that nobody else can create and no one else can duplicate. It's about, you know, giving the fans something to listen to that and feel rather than just have a robotic feel to it. Unfortunately, Kiss re-recorded, I'm not sure how much you know about Kiss, but Kiss re-recorded 
you know, a lot of their old classics not that long ago with Eric Singer. And Eric Singer is a monster drummer, not to take anything away from him, but if you listen to some of the re-records and listen to Eric trying to copy Peter's style and parts back from the 70s, it's actually laughable. It's, it's, it's unlistenable. And, and Eric, like I said, is a monster, monster drummer. So that just gives Peter that much credit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel the same way. I listened to those re-records, and I was not happy with with the outcome on them. But hey, you know, uh, I'm just a fan. So right, <laughs> me too. <laughs> but hey, but hey, Joey, I appreciate you doing this, man. This was a lot of fun. I once again, every anyone out there listening, this is a tremendous book. Uh, Start with a dream: a drummer's journey from rock and roll to TV to Broadway by Joey Casada, our guest today. Just if you grew up in the era that. I grew up and Joey grew up in with the music coming out and the bands coming out in the eighties and how we absorbed music back then. You will love this book. It's, it is everything that you experienced and possibly more. And you are rooting for Joey throughout the book. You are smiling at at the experiences. I can't say enough about it. Like I said, I read a lot. I read a lot of books. This is top five book for me of all time. So Joey, thank you for doing the show. I appreciate it. That's an amazing endorsement, man. Thank you so, so much. Thanks so so much for having me. I love the show. Anytime you want me back, I'll be glad to come back. It's so much fun. Absolutely, man. I I hope you do. So once again, everybody, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, everybody. Stay healthy, everybody. And we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.